Welcome, welcome everybody to a uh, very rainy Sunday afternoon. Welcome to TLC. We are so glad to have you guys here with us. Thank you for coming out and worship. My name is Tony. If you guys didn't know, I am the associate pastor here at this church. I am glad you are here. We are so blessed for your presence. Uh, you know, last night, last night, I, I realized how, again, how old I am. Uh, we, uh, we're at Dance for Hope. We're at Dance for Hope at the event, and I was there from like a uh, from morning to night, and after the whole day, I just, I could not feel my body anymore. I was just, I was just aching everywhere. Everyone was just like, hey, let's go play. I was like, no, I'm tired. I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife, right? So it'll be, uh, but it was great. I just want to update you guys. We, man, we, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. We made total $4,300. Yes, give it up, man. Oh, can I tell you the truth? I, that was 4000 more than I thought we were going to make, okay? I was, I was like, how much? How much did we bring in? Like, holy moly. All right, so uh, I'm, I'm not kidding. It was me and, me and uh, Danny were cooking uh, tacos, and at 5 o'clock when it started, we were thinking, like, man, I think we're going to have to eat all these tacos by ourselves. You know, like, we ain't seen nobody, right? You know, but it was amazing. God pulled through, and we were really blessed. And thank you so much for those of you guys who came out to help, to serve, to be a part of the process. We thank you so much from the bottom of our heart. And... I want you guys to know that the, the, the project of really buying his land and building it, building the school, is just it's a, whole, it's a whole church project. You know, it's like this, this whole community coming together for doing it. And I'm I, uh, really grateful for that. And the kids in Peru are grateful for that. I told Rita, our teacher, last night about the event, and she was just like, she was like bawling. She was like, I can't believe it. I was like, yeah, no, me neither. <laughs> I can't believe it. All right. Uh, thanks for that. All right. Uh, we are in the series called... Pour out your life. Pour out your life. This series was designed because 2020 for TLC, we have a theme for this year. Our theme for 2020 is Beyond Us, a year for others. A year when we are not focusing on trying to be the best version of ourselves. A year we're not trying to live the best life possible for ourselves. A year we're not focusing on us, but a year when we are encouraging, convicting, and moving our people to focus on others. That instead of making the best version of yourself, that you would walk alongside somebody and show them the best version of themselves. That instead of living your life possible, that you will walk along somebody and show them what a life, how beautiful a life is when it's with the Lord, right? How possible, how great a life can be when it's with God. A year when you do what you need to do so that they can be where they're meant to be. A year when we pour out ourselves to people, It'll be a year for others. And so we designed this, this series with the intention of understanding that process, understanding that journey, what it really takes to walk with somebody, what it really takes to pour out your life unto somebody. And if you would walk with me in this series, if you would walk with me through this series, what you will discover at the end of it is you'll be a better father, a better mother, a better leader, salt leader, ministry leader, group leader, you will be a brother and a sister who is able, who is more capable to pour out your life unto another person, if you're willing to. And, and that's the hope. I mean, every year we, 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 uh, we have themes, and every year we kind of highlight and focus on what we want to accomplish that coming year, this year. And so this year for TLC 2020 is we want to see brothers and sisters going out there, not just making a difference, of course making a difference, but going out there and investing in someone's life, really pouring out yourself onto somebody. Now, what does that look like? 
And it comes out from, uh, we, we, we learn this whole process through the letter that Paul writes to Timothy. Paul was one of the original apostles of Jesus. And he writes this letter to Timothy, his true son in the faith. Timothy was a dude that Paul um, brought to faith, that Paul taught and trained himself, that Paul brought along on the missionary journey, that Paul um, uh, developed, discipled, and eventually left in a church in Ephesus to take care of that community. Paul trusted him. Paul loved him. And Paul writes to him and says, hey, look, I love you, and I am going to teach you, and I'm going I'm to write this letter to show you, to explain to you what it looks like to pour out your life to the church, to pour out your life unto that community, to pour out your life unto these people, what it takes for you to do that, what it takes for you to actually make that happen. And so as we learn from Paul, as we, as we get to like dive into this intimate letter that Paul writes to his disciple, we're going to see, we're going to see how we as believers, how we as people are able to love and pour ourselves out unto others as well, okay? And so last week we talked about that if you are a leader, if you are someone who, is, who has authority or influence over somebody else, the thing that you do, right, uh, how do you approach teaching them the word? How do you approach teaching them about life? How do you approach teaching them about the law? Okay. Do you approach the law in such a way where you're just basically teaching them do's and don'ts, creating a veneer and helping them put on more mask of religiosity, telling them, hey, look, you do this, you're going to be blessed. You don't do this, you're not going to be blessed. This is what you're supposed to do because that's what all Christians or religious people look like. This is what you should do. This is what you should not do. And as a leader, if Paul is saying, if you do it that way, if you address the law in that way, all right, you miss the whole point. Because a true leader who walks alongside somebody, a true leader who pours himself out for somebody, is a leader who uses the law to show them you need Jesus. That if you would use the law to point them to Jesus, you win. You've done good. And if you are a person who is listening, who is learning, who's trying to absorb, who's trying to understand. If you're learning all these information, all you do with them is just put on more masks. That was great. This is what it means to be a good father. This is what it means to be a good mother. This is how I get rich. This is how I invest. This is how I do this. This is how I look beautiful. This is how I gain influence. You put all these masks on, all right, and you listen to all of these um, informative people telling you these things, all you're really doing is putting these masks on because the question you should be asking yourself is, are this information, is this information teaching me, guiding me, to love more? Is it pushing me towards the direction and trajectory of love? Right. That's last week. That's last week's uh, conversation. So this week, I want to talk to you guys about um, Paul's going to talk to you guys. Paul's going to uh, come into a place where he's talking about his conversion. He's going to tell Paul, uh, Timothy about his personal conversion with Jesus Christ. And when we learn this, when we, when we get to kind of glean into this, the thing that you will learn, the thing that you will know, and it's the thing that we always share here at TLC, right, is that there is no such thing as a lost cause, right? There's no such thing as a lost cause. Look at the person next to you and say, you are not a lost cause. Right? There is no such thing as a lost cause, right? <laughs> you laugh. Some of you guys were like, wait, hold on, maybe you, <laughs> right? And, and what's, so, what's so awesome about Paul's... Paul's um, sharing of his, of his conversion was that it was meant for you. He, he, he sharing his conversion, how God brought him into the faith, was not simply for him, but it was meant for you, 
for you to see this, this, this unbelievable conversion and understand that there are people out there that are not lost causes. There are people out there that we sometimes we, we kind of mentally judge prematurely just because we're thinking they're not, it's not possible. They are a lost cause. But Paul is going to show us, hey, I'm going to help you see people a little bit better. And if you're a leader, if you're a ministry leader, if you're a servant team member, if you're a father, if you're a husband, if you're a wife, right, it's going to help you see the people you influence in a much better light because you're never going to approach them with this mentality, I give up, right? So let's, let's look into it. We're, we're going to read from uh, 1 Timothy, uh, verse 12 to 16, when Paul kind of describes the situation. And then we're going to go into this, the scene in Acts where it talks about the actual conversion. We're going to see what happened there. And as we go through that, we're going to highlight some, uh, some points to that point. So we're going to go to 1 Timothy. Paul begins to tell Timothy, hey, look, let me tell you about my conversion. It's for your sake. This is what God did for you. All right? God did this through me specifically for you. And then we're going to look at the actual uh, conversion story. Okay? Acts, I mean, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 16. All right, follow me now. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a prosecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word today. And I ask, oh God, that as we begin to listen to it, as we begin to Hear it, oh God, would you convict our hearts and remind us of the beauty and the power that comes through you. Give our hearts, Lord, um, openness when it comes to people, as we love and as we walk with them. Teach us, Father God, what forgiveness looks like. Teach us, Father God, what uh, care and sacrifice really amounts to. We thank you so much. We praise you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. You know, you, uh, you, you hear stories on the news a lot about, like, you know, Christian bakers being sued. <laughs> Christian florists is being sued, Christian photographers being sued because they won't do a specific type of wedding. Right, we hear that a lot, right, on the news. And sometimes it sounds kind of sad, but when I hear it, I actually feel kind of like, that's, that's actually pretty cool, right? And the, the reason why is this. It's, it's, it's because there's something about the idea of Christian something, right, that, that really offends people. You know, because you realize Jewish bakers, florists, and photographers don't do those weddings either, right? Muslims, bakers, Florists and photographers don't do it, but they never get on the news, right? It's always the Christians. You know, you ever ask that question, like, why? Like, why are they always the one that's singled out? Not because we're victims here, but you know why? Because there's something about Christianity that's very offensive. You know, what, you know what's offensive about Christianity? Is that Christians believe it's not just for some, it's for all. Christians believe that the power of Christianity can convert all people. That is for all people. It's not just for some or a type or a few or specific. It is for all people. And that type of proselytizing is offensive. It's offensive to Muslims. It's offensive to Jews. It's offensive to Buddhists. It's offensive to a lot of people. And so it's easy to single out this group because this group 
inadvertently professes the idea that everything we do, we do it because we believe that this message is for all people. Right? Even you go in the university system, you know, you, you see a lot of classes in, in, the, in the liberal arts, you see classes about Hindus, Buddhists, a culture and all that stuff. Rarely, very rarely, do you see a class about Christian studies. You have uh, Islamic culture studies, you have Buddhist uh, culture. I, I was looking up in Colombia for some reason, and I saw like all of these, like there's like um, lotus leaf posture study. It was really weird. Like a lot of these different like, you know, uh, classes and then and degrees actually. Those are mostly degrees. It's kind of even more funny. But there was very rare do we see a Christian, Christian uh, theology class, Christian studies class. You see at most probably a Christian history as it relates to the development of the Western world classes, right? And why is that? Why is that? And even in, in, in our university system, the most, the, the, the system where it's supposed to be inclusive and free of thought and everyone's allowed to, you know, challenge each other's opinions, why is it that, that it's such an um, exclusive idea? It's because, again, there's something very offensive about the Christian message. And the Christian message is that it is meant to convert or can convert all people. It is for all people. And it becomes offensive to people. And sometimes, as Christians, we come to a place where we believe that the Christian message cannot convert all people. And it's not meant for all people. Today's story of Paul, I want us to realize something. It is. And it's so powerful. And if you understand this right here, this the story of Paul, it's going to give you so much more courage to deal with people. And to love people. And to, like, pour yourself out into people. Okay? So, Paul... It's pretty much saying, verse 16, he says, But for that very reason, though I am the worst sinner, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. That I am an example for you. He saved me for your sake. So let's look at the, the story of Paul's conversion. Acts chapter 9, we find in Acts chapter 9. Okay. We're going to highlight a couple points, right? First thing, verse 1 to 2. Acts chapter 9. Paul, who was this man? He was a zealous opponent of the Christian faith. He was a zealous, zealous opponent of the Christian faith. He hated Christians. Check this out. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he found that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's what they called believers back then, people who followed the way, whether men or women, he might make them prisoners, he might take them prisoners back to Jerusalem. Paul was, according to Luke, ravaging the church. Paul, according to Luke, was entering people's home. He dragged them out. Can you imagine someone comes into your home, kicks down your door, grabs your mom, grabs your dad, and pulls them out of the house and throw them in prison in front of your eyes? But that was Paul. Paul was breathing murderous threats. It, it, it was, it's this phrasing that says this. Everything he thought about, everything he said, everything he kept nagging about was we got to get the Christians. We got to take them out. We got to throw them in prison. They do not belong to breathe the same air as we. They do not belong to do the exact same thing as we. They don't belong to exist. We have to eliminate them no matter what. And he believed this so much that he was willing to travel to Damascus, which is 150 miles from Jerusalem. He got on camelback. To go 150 miles. There's no cars back then, so you know, it takes two hours to drive 150 miles. Right? On Camelback, it takes days. 
homie was willing to get on camelback with a bunch of other people, travel for days to get into a city, a town, knock down doors, drag out the people, tie them up, and walk them back 150 miles to Jerusalem just so that he can simply eliminate them. That's how much of a zealous he was for against uh, Christianity, right? Paul, he couldn't, he, because the reason is because he could, not, he could not stand a system of belief that says you don't have to do anything to merit your salvation. Paul was a man who was a Pharisee. He was a man who did, he, he followed the laws, he followed the works, he did the do's, and he did the don'ts. He was a man that he even claimed to himself, I'm faultless, right? He was a man that says that this is what, um, I've grown up with a system that says you earn the respect of God. You earn God's love. And here Jesus comes along and says, you cannot do it on your own. I will give you salvation regardless of whether you merit it or not. And Paul was like, how dare you attack me? And because you attack my worldview like that, I'm going to destroy yours. Is that very similar to nowadays? Because you attack my worldview, I'm going to eliminate your worldview. That's how zealous Paul was for this idea, right? And what, we, what are we supposed to learn about this passionate, zealot man who was so against Christians? What are we supposed to learn about him? This was the type of dude that you would say would be a lost cause, right? This is the type of guy that you would say there is no hope for this homie. This is the type of guy that you would not tell your children and say, hey, when you see him, go pray for him and say, hey, how are you? This is the type of guy you would tell your children when you see Paul walking down the street, you run. Don't try to convert him. Don't try to talk to him. He's a lost cause, right? I know God tells you you love everybody. This one, just stay as far away from him as possible. He is the typical, atypical dimension of what we would call a lost cause. He is like, for example, it's like, it's like Osama bin Laden, right? It's like Osama bin Laden, and all of a sudden you're saying like, hey, we should, uh, we should, we should save this guy. Or uh, Osama, I'm sorry, it's, it's like Osama bin Laden who just basically orchestrated the Twin Towers 9-11 attack, hiding in the cave. Homie walks out of the cave one day while America's still trying to find him, walks out of the cave and just says, everybody, I have converted to Christianity. I am now going to preach the gospel to jihadist terrorists, right? I'm going to make those Muslims Christians and those terrorists pacifists, right? And you'll be like, uh, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> yeah, you're just trying to kill us. That's what you're trying to do. You're going to lure us in, and then you're just going to ambush us. That's probably what you're going to do. You would never think that such a man would convert. You would never think that such a person would come to faith, okay? Why? Because it's humiliating for him. A man who's built his whole entire life on one system to have it turned upside down on him, it's, it's, it's something that he fought for and something that he supported and to just be turned upside down and say, I'm wrong, so I'm going to change my whole entire life. It's humiliating for a man in that caliber. Paul is saying, but I am that man. I am that man. That's how horrible I was. That's how, that's how, that's the type of person that I was. And yet, the most unlikely person, God converts. And he's still converting. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get this point across to you guys. It's because a lot of us 
we kind of do this any meaning mining moment when it comes to people we think are, are like convertible, right? Like I think because they're nice, they are going to listen to the gospel a little bit better, yeah, right? Like this person seems kind of ripe, like just, it's just ripe like situation. I think they will accept Jesus easier, right? What, what type of characteristic do you feel like a ripe person is like, oh, they're open, like they're very open to discussion. It seems like I can talk to them more. You would never think of a person who's just constantly saying, I'm going to kill you and eliminate your existence from the world. Like, oh, yeah, I, I think they're ripe for Christianity. No, you never think that, right? But Paul's saying what? I was that man, and yet God converted me. The most unlikely person God can convert, which means what? It means that there is no such thing as lost causes. There is no such thing as a lost cause in the eyes of God. Right? Sometimes, like I said before, you may think there are such things as a lost cause. You know why you think that? Because you have forgotten that you were a lost cause. That God had to save you. And the moment you begin to start thinking other people are lost causes, it's because most of the time you are now moving back into the realm of do's and don'ts. And you forget you forget that God saved you, not because of who you are or what you did. He saved you simply because of what Christ did. And you think for now you can point your finger and declare someone a lost cause and someone a good cause, someone who's ripe and someone who's not ready, someone who's open and someone who is closed. You can make those kind of open judgments. And Paul is saying, no, even the most unlikely people, God is converting. So what does that mean? That means continue to pray for them. His mercy is not limited to people who just grew up in the church. Like, oh, they have Christian background. They're ready to hear Jesus. Oh, you know what? Their family were, um, were Christians. I think they're able to hear Jesus. Paul is saying, I was the worst of sinners. The chief of sinners was converted. If the chief of sinners was converted, do you really think whoever it is that's in your life that's so hard to reach is impossible? Paul is saying nothing is impossible with God. There is no such thing as a lost cause. First two verses, what we see is that Paul's attitude, his action, his, his demeanor was an unlikely demeanor. He was against the Christian faith, and yet God converted him. So for you, as a leader, as a teacher, as a servant team member, as a salt leader, a spiritual leader, as a father, as a mother, never look at the people in whom you serve. Never look at the people who is around you and think of them as a lost cause. There is no such thing as a lost cause. There's hope in evangelism. Right? There's hope for you. Because sometimes you may think you're a lost cause, right? Maybe, maybe you don't have the guts to call someone else a lost cause, but maybe you think that you're a lost cause. Maybe you think you think you're beyond saving. Maybe you think that you're at such a bombless pit that you cannot get out of it. Maybe you think that God will not forgive you. And Paul is saying, chief of sinners I am. And he converted me. Chief of sinners I am, and he found me. You are no lost cause. I don't believe it. I've never taught it. Because I still don't understand why you think it. Or why you even entertain it. Right? So we see Paul, a zealous man, and yet God converts. And look, look at verse uh, 3. So as Paul was on his camelback moving towards Damascus, 150 miles, with this pure intent, focus, uh, direct focus on finding Christians 
to capture him and bring him back to Jerusalem to put them on trial, to throw him in prison. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Right? Second thing we see is this. Paul's conversion was sudden and unexpected. It was sudden and unexpected. How many times when we begin to kind of work through people, you think like, oh, yeah, like God slowly, slowly showed me the conviction of my sin. He slowly realized, made me realize how horrible I am, and that's why I came to faith. No. Paul's coming to faith was sudden. It was abrupt. It was out of the blue. He did not see it coming. He was just walking. He was focused. He was like, I'm going to get them. And then, bam, light shows up. And he was like, what just happened? I met God. He, he wasn't like, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. Now I realize I have to meet God. It was simply God showed up, met him, and changed his life forever. Right? Actually, even before this, you know what Paul thought of himself? Right? Paul, Paul never linked his conversion to, um, uh, to the long process of God slowly convincing him of his sin. He never linked his conversion to God's process in his life. He just thought, this whole time, I'm faultless. How many of you guys can actually declare you're faultless? Right? I wouldn't have, I'm the pastor. I'm, I, have a, I have a really hard time even declaring that, right? But homie was like, look, I am faultless. I am, dude, you can't find a single thing to blame me for. I am a keeper of the law. I do what I say I'm going to do. I am focused. I do have, I, he, he claims he has no wrong, all right? He, he believed, even later on, he said, I, was, I believed even to the moment of my conversion that I lived with a good and perfect conscience in my life. What does that mean for you, all right? What does that mean for you? It means don't despair for those who show no signs of being prepared for conversion, all right? Don't despair when you've prayed for somebody for so long and they show no signs of conversion. It's a mistake to think that prayers for others are only effective if they have an immediate effect in some kind of openness or sincerity towards God. Paul's conversion, what does it teach us? It teaches us God works suddenly, unexpectedly. You don't think I know? This is true. Like, you guys have been, have you guys been in a trailer of our REM trailer? There's a prayer wall, right? And on that prayer wall, there's a bunch of words of God's name. You guys have seen that? The man who printed that out for us, right, I felt like his conversion story was very similar to this. Like, he, this is how, this is how, like, like, broken sometimes he is. He, came, he would come to church, like, not even hungover. He would come to church actually drunk, okay? He would, he would be standing in the back, and he's just... He's there. I don't even know why he's there, but he's there, right? He's there. He's chilling. And he would do this multiple times. And then one time, one time he disappeared for like a couple months. I never even asked the question why he, why he left. Multiple months he disappeared. He came back and he said, yo, I met God. And I was like, like, like actually met God or like because you were in a drunken stupor and then you, you hallucinated God, right? And he was like, no, 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 I, I met God. I said, what do you mean? I went to Korea, I was going to just party like crazy, I got off the plane, I went into a church for some reason, and I met God. I said, hold up, hold up, you were on the plane, were you drunk? I was dead drunk on the plane, I said, okay, 
were you drunk when you got off the plane? Yep, I was drunk when I got off the plane. And then you decided to walk into a church. Yep. And then you met God. Yes. And so now you're a believer? Yes. And then, like, and I, I kid you not, I, I can show you pictures of him, like, before and after. Like, the before picture is, like, this, this dude that's, like, faded, right? And then after, you're, like, like, it's the whole brand new man. It's literally a couple days in, in difference. I was like, what in the world? But that's how God works. You see? Sudden and unexpected. But oftentimes, we're constantly thinking, like, oh, it, it must be some sort of, like, slow, long process that God takes us on to convince us that he's true and he's real. And sometimes we, 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 when we pray so long and so hard for people and we don't see anything resulting from it, we're thinking like, oh, man, God, is, it's just useless. My prayers are useless. It doesn't work. But God, he doesn't work that way because his conversion here was sudden. It was unexpected. It was a man who was spiritually dead in his trespasses, right? He was not the type of dude that was ready for the picking. It wasn't like God was kind of molding and shaping his heart. You know, people, we, we have those kind of phrases in Christian church like, oh, he's being shaped right now. Like, oh, he just got through a very, like, horrible divorce. He's, he's being shaped right now. Or, you know, he just went bankrupt. God is shaping him right now. Or things just happened in his life. He's, God is shaping. We don't, we talk about that when we're thinking about that people were going to slowly convert. But for Paul, it was not a slow shaping. It was literally, boom, I met God. And his life was changed forever. That means what? That means the same can happen for you. It means the same can happen for the people in whom you have given up on. It means the same can happen for those in whom you have prayed for so long and yet still feel ineffective towards. That God can meet you. You guys want to know why I always tell you guys to go to church no matter what? Just go to church. And it's usually because of stories like that, right? Like, just go. You may not even want to go. You may not even understand, like, Maybe one day you walk in, drunk out of your mind, hope not, right? Drunk out of your mind, and you meet God. You put yourself in that, not even in the position. He wasn't even in the position. He was, he was in the position on the road going against God, and he met God. How much more do you think God would speak to you, right, if you allow him to? So what does this, this part of the story tell us? very simple. It tells us what? That God's work is sudden and unexpected. Don't despair. You've been praying for your mom. You've been praying for your dad. You've been praying for your brother. You've been praying for your sister. You've been praying for your best friend. You've been praying for them for ages and nothing seems to be going on. It seems to be utterly ineffective. It seems nothing, is, this seems to be worse than they were before. They can't stop doing what they do and you're thinking it's over. It's done. God doesn't love them. It's, it's just their lost cause. Paul is saying when God works, he works. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Get on your knees and pray for them. Get on your knees and cry out to God for them. Get on your knees and say, God, I do not know when, but I know that when you work, you work. And Paul is saying, listen to my story. It's for your sake. If the chief of sinners is converted, the most unlikely can come. How much more so you? And what do we see now in this story as we keep going, right? We see God's hand in the midst of all of this. It wasn't like, it wasn't anything on Paul. This whole experience, this whole ordeal, it was God's sovereign 
hand, God's grace, God's power working in his life. We're going to see three episodes of this, right? Three, three incidents of how God just kind of worked into this dude's life right here. Jesus was not responding to anything that Paul had done, right? It was not like, oh, Paul, look at this guy. He's so great. Let me come and just show up in Damascus while he's trying to kill my people. Woohoo, right? It was nothing that Paul has done that deserves me to, deserves God to come in and change his life, to give him salvation. There was nothing that he merited. There's nothing that he accomplished that Jesus would say, Paul, yes, you're worthy now. You're good enough now. I'm going to give you my salvation. There's nothing about that. We see God's sovereign choice and sovereign grace in the midst of all of this. It was utterly under Jesus' control and authority. Sovereign means this. It was utterly free. It was unmerited. And it came with overwhelming authority and power. That when God says, you are mine, that's it. You are mine. Don't matter what you've done. Don't matter where you were. Don't matter where you've gone, where you think you're going. You are mine. All right, check this out. So verse 5, it says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. All right. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they could not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. See, first, God's sovereignty showed up in, such a, in a blinding light. He wasn't expecting it. He did not even think he deserved it. But God showed up. It blinded Paul for three days. And God told Paul, just go into the city and I'll tell you what to do. Can you imagine your life walking in one direction and God comes in and flips it upside down? Everything you have known, your whole worldview turned upside down. Everything that you have placed your faith, your hope in, your, your, your worth, your value, your salvation in gets turned upside down. God shows up. He meets with you. He blinds you. And then he tells you, go to the city. He didn't, he didn't ask. This is so funny. He didn't ask Paul. Paul, would you like to accept me as your Savior and Lord at this moment? Here's a prayer. prayer. He didn't say that. He says, you're blind. Go in the city. Three days. I'll talk to you. Right? That's it. Three days, just wait. Paul was like, what? And he's like, I can't see. He's like, yep, three days. Go. And Paul was in the town for three days sitting there. And he was just, what do I do? Like, I can't see. Like, three days of utter loneliness, darkness for him to realize his whole entire life was just like that. He was blind, but he didn't even know it. Paul, God shows up and shows him, you are blind, Paul. You thought you can see. You thought you were faultless. You thought you were blameless. You thought you were righteous. You were blind. Now go. I'm sending you now. Go. I'm telling you now. And this is what happens. It goes on. This is how God shows up some more. Man. Second. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. 
And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. All right? Isn't, this is the craziest thing. Like, God shows up to Ananias, and Ananias was like, all right, um, you know, he, he, he kills Christians, right? For, he, he loves for us to die. And you're sending me where? Go. All right? It's like, for example, example, God shows up to you. Right? It's one of some, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's like Osama Laman was alive. God shows up to you and he says, look, go to Afghanistan, this coordinate, in this cave. Osama Laman's in there, he's waiting for you, right? And like, whoa, 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 <laughs> like, Lord, I mean, like, I mean, I get it. Uh, homie just blew up two towers. Thousands of people died. And he does not like Christians, right? He does, do not ask me. Question it. Do not question it. I told you, go. For I have prepared him to do what I have called him to do. I have set him apart before he was even born to do what I have called him to do. Before he chose me, I have chosen him. Check this out. Look, it's so crazy. All right. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Not how much he might suffer, but how much he must suffer for my name. He is my chosen instrument to the Gentiles and their people and their kings and the nations. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming up here, has sent me so that you may see again, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And there, after taking some food, he regained some strength. Right? Ananias was afraid to pray for Paul, but God said, Paul is my chosen instrument. Jesus chose Paul long before Paul chose him. You know what this tells us? You know what this tells us? The whole entire journey of people is in God's control. It's in God's hands. It's not on you to try to convert. God will do the work. The Bible says in Jeremiah, before you were in your mother's womb, before you were even in the womb, I have known you. Before you were born, I set you apart. It's mean before you've done anything of worth or value, I've already set you apart to be the prophet of nations. Psalms 139 says what? You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Such knowledge is too great for me, too vast for my understanding. God has sovereign control and hand over your life. And if he says you are his, then you are his. If he says that you are his, there is nothing in this world that will rip you apart from that. Romans 8 says there's nothing on earth or heaven, death or life, heaven or uh, angels or demons, principalities that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There is nothing. If he says you are mine, that I have chosen you, you will see him. He will not relent until you have, he has you. He will not stop until you are his. He will move heaven and earth. He will break all grounds. He will take the cross to make it happen. 
That is the kind of God that we serve. That is the sovereign hand of our God. And so when you are a leader, salt leader, ministry leader, people, and you see your family members, you see people who are like just constantly lost in their faith, and you're thinking like, that's it, it's done, I'm over, I'm disappointed, I'm lost, they're, they're, I'm going to give up on them. You forget that God has not given up, and he will not give up, and you, you do not give up as well. If he will not relent for you, then don't relent for them. If he would move heaven and earth for you, then move heaven and earth for them. So Paul comes back to the letter of Timothy, and he writes to Timothy. That's my story. I told you this before, right? That's my story. Brother Luke shared it. That's my story. I'm the most unlikely man to be converted, and yet he would. So what? Don't ever think of someone as a lost cause. My conversion... It wasn't some long process. It was sudden. It was unexpected. It was sudden. It was unexpected. So don't stop praying. Don't stop praying just because you, thought it's, you think it's ineffective. Don't stop praying just because you think that they are useless. Don't stop praying because you think that they are gone. You continue to pray. You pray even harder for them. And third, the journey is this. God will not leave you. God does not ask questions. If you are his, he commands it and he authoritates it and he makes it happen. He will not leave you. He does not relent until he has you. That's your God. And so he tells Timothy, go, do the same for others. Do not relent. Do not give up. Do not point your finger and say you're a lost cause. Paul's conversion story was not just for his story, but it's for you. It's for you as brothers, as sisters. People in the faith, people who believe that they're lost cause. Maybe you're sitting here right now and you think that you're a lost cause. You think that maybe there are moments in my life God will not want me. God does not desire me. There's other times that he might enjoy who I am. But the majority of the time, he probably is pretty disappointed with me. And this is God's heart. He says, I will not relent for you. There's nothing you have done that will ever disappoint me. You think Paul, the man who killed my people... I was not disappointed. I did not stop. I chose him before he was born to be my chosen instrument to the nations. Same with you. So lest you lose heart, lest you really believe that you cannot be saved or those around you cannot be saved, lest you are prone to anger, selfishness, and um, self-reliance, lest you think that you have gone too far away, Paul is saying God can save. If you lose heart, God can save. If you lose your way, God can save. If you find yourself broken, God can save. If you find yourself prone to anger, selfishness, God can save. And if you know people that has put those emotions into your heart and has deceived you and you bought into a lie that he cannot, Paul is saying, look at my life. God can save. Our dearest ones can be converted. They can be, right? If you're a leader, salt leader, ministry leader, small group leader, father, mother, if you have influence in anyone's life, if you are here, my command and my prayer and my admonition and my conviction to you is this, very simply, do not give up on your people. 
Do not count them as lost causes. Move heaven and earth for them. And even if they run, even if they hide, even if they disown you, pray for them. Because nothing is lost. Nothing is lost until they take their last breath. Amen? Let's pray. He knows.